and welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Dave Sorrell. <laughs> <laughs> just adding more work to me. Just in post. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to keep it in this time because it's a pretty... Yeah, yeah, right. I'm Alexander Wells. <laughs> and joining us today, we have a special guest. Jamie Walls. Uh, we are all at a writing... Oh, wait, this is episode... Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is episode 61, Subverting Expectations. We are all at a writing retreat, uh, and so we are we are coming at you live-ish. That's not the right word. Yeah. It's, no, it's live. It's live, yeah. We're, 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 we're coming at you live-ish. Yeah, so we decided to do an episode since we're, we're together, and we've got a guest here, and uh, Subverting Expectations is the topic. Jamie wrote Utopia Law, Truth Plus... Oh, those will be the links, and you can look up the rest of the Nice. Alex, why don't you... Take us away. Okay. Um, so subverting expectations is uh, a little bit of a meme, largely because of Game of Thrones, where it's just a bad writing and you say subverting expectations. Subverting expectations often comes off as bad writing. It's very easy to do poorly because you're just like breaking the rules of writing. And as we always say, breaking the rules of writing is totally fine to do. It's all about the execution. But uh, if the execution isn't there, then... You're breaking these rules for no reason, and that's a problem. So one of the things that I want to talk about is why we subvert expectations, why that is a good and noble thing to do. Because it would be boring if we never subverted them. Uh, Yes, I I think that's part of it. The novelty factor is uh, super important. Partly it is, I think, not just for novelty, but it's for, like, the that thrill of the pattern being broken, right? I think a lot of stories and how we enjoy stories is about the patterns in those stories. And we have this like pattern recognition and we like can see how things are going and that is very pleasing to us. And then that interruption of the pattern is, um, it's like a joke, right? Like you, this version of expectation is um, what a lot of humor is based on. It's a lot of jokes are based on. So you're doing that kind of thing. It's not always funny or whatever. Sometimes, you know, yeah. Someone, so, someone dies, but but it, it gives us that 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 freshness, and then we we go into a new pattern and shakes things up. Yeah, I'm noticing also that like uh, a lot of the times when I enjoy subverting expectations or having some expectations subverted in fiction, the thing that I'm enjoying actually is something like an expectation that I that I don't like or something, or that I like predict will be boring in some way. Uh, so like the novelty is important, uh, but I'm also now wondering, noticing myself wondering, like what I like my expectations being subverted so much if... Okay, so the example that comes to mind is like, I, I appreciate it now when I read a story and it turns out that the characters who come off as like overly obviously bad people actually have like good good like motivation and like complex reasoning behind why, why they're doing what they're doing. If the norm was just that like there are just no super simple, obviously evil, cartoonishly bad characters, would I enjoy it if like suddenly there was like would i enjoy it if you're like oh it turns out that they're just like a saturday morning cartoon villain would that be as enjoyable as like the reverse is for me now i don't actually don't know so i think they're we'll get into it a little bit but i'll jamie you can go and give your piece on why subversion is good like what what is your favorite subversion of expectations i think there's kind of a transgressive thrill when you're like ah yes this is the not the genre that i thought i was in it's magical girls, except now they're getting decapitated. That's spoilers for nothing. Never <laughs> yeah, and I do think I do think there's there's that um, 
that we like that. We like the okay. I, uh, we, we we won't spoil that, but um, I think there's a thrill in a plot twist. I think plot twist is different from subverting expectations, but it's not that different. One of one of the things that I want to talk about with uh, subverting expectations is there's expectations that are set up within and by the story, and then there are expectations that are set up sort of within our culture, right? Like, like if you... Certain scenes that you show are embedded in the culture, and so if you show, like... If you, if you give the markers of noir, you are setting up expectations in that way, and that is different from setting up expectations, like through the mechanism of the story, through, through like, you making promises to readers. Um, so a lot of, like, subverting expectations is on the level of uh, being a response to the culture, right? Rather than necessarily being within the work itself. Does that distinction make sense? Yeah, yeah. I am noticing now the, this idea of what it means to subvert an expectation because I'm so used to certain tropes in culture uh, versus what the writer has created. I'm trying to find an example of this that makes me feel um, like I enjoyed the writer's setup that didn't in some way relate to the broader fictional genre that they're writing in or like my understanding of tropes or something like this. Uh, that makes sense as a... Yeah, okay. So so like one example, like a trope example mm-hmm. is the hero is going in to defuse the bomb and we kind of know that the hero is going to succeed uh, but what you can do is you can just have that bomb blow up, switch protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I think, more on the like cultural trope landscape side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, a different example for like just expectations set up within the work. Um, I don't know. That's tough. But I think it's there, right? Probably. Do you think I'm just... No, no, no. I, 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 do, I do think you're right that this is a thing that can happen, but I'm trying to think of an example where I liked it. So, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, plenty of shows will set up expectations uh, and then subvert them in the way that you mentioned earlier was, like, bad or dumb or something, or, like, lazy or, like, not... not like It's, like, it's like, it's like treated with, with uh, as a pejorative now to, like, subvert expectations. Well... Some certain... Yeah. of certain shows that maybe not satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Let, well, like, the example of the protagonist going in just getting blown up mm-hmm. by such protagonists that... There are lots of very, very good reasons that you do not do that, right? For, for like, you know, you, you lose the investment. Yeah. And you get the shock value out of it, which is great, but then you also need to, like, do something with that, right? You need, you need to, like, rebuild investment in a secondary character. Yeah. Or you need to make it feel like it was a satisfying thing to happen, even if the satisfaction is, is in the shock. Yeah. I, I think a lot of... A lot of how people subvert expectations is just for the shock factor and like to have a thrilling moment because it, it is thrilling in that transgressive way. It is thrilling in that uh, it's very surprising, but that's not enough in and of itself. I think that if you're killing off your protagonist in the first chapter of the book, you basically made that entire chapter like world building, like yeah. communicate just the setting of like, oh no, anyone can die. This guy that we just spent a chapter in the head of was fucking turned into a fine aerosolized paste by these nanobots or whatever. Get used to it. It's grim. It's gritty. There's also the expectation of, uh, like, this, like, once you do that once, 
the author to continue to subvert that kind of expectation would have to just like have no one else die ever again. Um, and so it's like kind of like a like you flip the card. You can only you can only play the trick once uh, in that in, in that sort of sense. Whereas like if we're talking about um, broader genre expectations or something, like there's as many of them you can play with all at once. And so I'm, yeah, I'm still trying to think of an example of an author setting up an expectation in their own story, unconnected from like broader genre or cultural like expectations that they subverted. And I like that they subverted the expectation. Uh, Okay, like the the hero loses. I mean, that's a trope now, though, right? Yeah. But that I think, in a lot of senses, is a still a subversion of ex- expectation because it happens so infrequently, where the hero just loses at the end, and we understand that they have been like broken and defeated, and like the the machine is marching on, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Like you're trying to actually say as an author about that. To just you know, capitalism is going to continue forever. There's just going to be a boot stopping on the face. Yeah, part of the part of the issue is that like I think I'm I'm having trouble remembering times when this happened uh, that weren't like super bleak already. So like you know, if you read 1984, I hope this isn't a spoiler for 1984. Uh, I mean, it is, but like yeah. we hope that you have read 1984 or that you don't care about 1984. Right. Yeah, feel free to stop the episode and read it at this point <laughs> if you if you would like to. Um, yeah. 1984 uh, has a let's just say a sad ending uh, and it never really I don't remember ever really feeling like it was a hopeful book like it never I never I never really got the sense or expectation that like good would triumph and it could be just misremembering it's like you have to write for me to really feel this in a in a story I think you'd have to write a a very like Disney-esque or like a fairly simple novel or fantasy story of some kind and then have the hero lose, and that would be like where the real like shock comes in, as opposed to like, ah, oh, okay, I see what they're doing now. So, so you think in, in 1984, you did not subvert your expectations because your expectations were set that that was going to be the ending? It was kind of surprising in some way, but it wasn't, yeah, it didn't feel like a shock. It felt more like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's true. If you guys have other examples, I'm, I'm interested to hear. Well, there's one thing that I noticed that is like, so once in a while I think about the story that can't be written, and what does it mean to write a story that can't be written? So the one example of this is like, I kind of want to read a long form, long series story that's just like regular slice of life, coming of age kind of story. You just like follow someone from like young adulthood to adulthood or teenagehood to adulthood or even a series of books about them as like a child and as a teenager, then as a young adult, whatever. And they're just like going through life. They're just having regular life experiences. They're learning about themselves. They're having like you know, triumphs and tragedies, they're getting relationships with their friends and family members, all these different things. And then, in like book four, aliens are made. Or like like a wizard steps through a portal in the hands of a magic a sword or something like that. And like, I, I want this because I want to know the character in a deep level before that happens. Okay? What we're used to is reading a story where like you get some setup and some build up, but then that thing happens and you kind of always know that it's going to happen when you pick up the story. Because you you, you, whatever it is that got you to read the story in the first place, usually is some kind of marketing or someone told you about it, or like you just know what genre you're in. Uh, and it's like it's like unwritable in some parts because of like, you know, like no publishing house that I know of would be like, yeah, let's publish three slice of life books so that we can't do a fourth fantasy one. Um, if you're reading, if you're writing it as like a web server, almost no one would read the first three books of this, and those who do like might be really upset with the fourth one, yeah. or. or 
someone might have actually gone through all three books, really enjoyed the fourth one, but then they can't recommend it to anyone without letting them know why they why they need to just get through the first three books or something like that, without kind of spoiling that there's some twist of some kind in the fourth one. Uh, yeah. I, I think this is one of the inherent problems with subverting expectations, mm-hmm. is that uh, very often the thing that you are subverting is like kind of the thing that you should the be thing doing. That reader wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... This is the thing, though, because I want this story, and I don't know how many other people do or don't, but... Well, I mean, how would you even, like, get to read it, though? Exactly, that's the problem. <laughs> I just want I just want there to be an engaging story that I enjoy that is willing to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Have you ever read a book that changed genre, like, halfway through the series? Read a series? Uh, the closest that comes... To, so there's, there's two kinds of genres in my mind, like content genres and tone genres or something. So, like, content genres or setting genres are things like sci-fi, uh, fantasy... Um, or things like that. And tone genres uh, are, are more like what you would consider, you know, like the things that can happen in any of those genres, so romance sure. or, yeah. or crime or something like that. Uh, like, there are some genres that start as modern supernatural horror, and then like six books later, it's like, oh, right, I'm reading a romance novel. I'm reading a series of romance novels now. Um, like, there's, there's one particular series I really enjoyed that did that. But content-wise, like jumping from, uh, I guess, how non-spoilers to say. Oh, so I read I read a certain book in a series out of order because I didn't know there was a series that existed. Uh, and it's normally a fantasy series, basically. Uh, but the book that I read was a sci-fi book uh, that like just like took place in a, as, a, as a prequel to the rest of the series. And I didn't know that. I didn't know the series existed. Um, I didn't know the series existed. And it was like one of those things that made... It was just really cool to, to like read a sci-fi story that was like basically pointing in the direction of becoming a fantasy story. Uh, and then I found that the series existed and like took place you know, a thousand years later and was a fantasy series. And I was like, oh, that's neat. Um, yeah. Um, the, uh, this is a little bit spoilers, uh, but I can't warn you about it because saying the name of it would give it away. Um, the Merchant Princess series by Charles Strauss mm-hmm. starts as uh, like a portal fantasy or isekai type thing kind of and gets increasingly more sci-fi um making a pretty sharp turn into science fiction like second or third book Mm -hmm. and especially the there's like a sequel series that is very much like very sci-fi like alternate history Mm sci-fi and and like he Charles Strauss has this sort of like fetish for the subversion of expectations and stuff. So he, 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 he never wants to do like the normal thing. So one of the ways in which he's trying to subvert the genre is he has his main character, Miriam. And she's like in her late thirties. She's like divorced. She's not, she's not at all like a typical like portal fantasy. Cause it's like mm-hmm. a young person's genre kind of. Um, and it turns towards uh, like politics and uh, logistics and a, a whole bunch of other stuff. But I think a lot of that stuff is signposted very early on that, that like it's going to be that kind of story, so you know going in. But I think so, some of the stuff that comes in later and the, the the ways in which it um, switches what it fundamentally is um, is not signposted like in the first book. It's it's difficult because the Publication history is kind of complicated for it, and meant it to be um, three large books, and it came out as six smaller books, and so the first book is kind of split in half. So you read that first book, and you're like, okay, it's like kind of a more uh, a portal fantasy with like a, a more mature 
adult character, and that's fine. And then you get to like increasing books, and people are like talking about like genetic engineering and alternate timelines and nuclear carpet bombing, and uh, it gets it gets wild um, in in a way that is genre shifting. And but I don't know what expectations you go in with necessarily. I I knew Strauss as a sci-fi writer, and so I kind of you what know, surprised. Um, I was a little surprised. This is kind of what I meant earlier in the uh, uh, retreat when I was talking about your story and the sense of like, uh, like the idea of like what promises does a reader have once they've read like the first chapter or two and like that you expect from the writer. Like I read a lot of Stephen King and I knew obviously going into Stephen King, Stephen King has certain trends uh, in writing or something. But like I'm very used to, you start a story with like a normal guy having a normal day, having a normal life, you get get to know them and then like alien plan or something and like that that feels like you know the sort of thing that feels like if you know going into it what it is and that's that's uh that's like what it's not it's not really subverting expectations but stephen king also writes just normal like what's what's the word uh non-speculative fiction like he he just writes non-speculative fiction and so sometimes there's books that you don't really know going into the books unless you research them like what kind of book you're reading so like hearts and atlantis to many people like i think i haven't watched the movie but like I think most people who read Hearts and Atlantis uh, just like don't know how to classify it because it could just be seen as non-speculative fiction, but it's very clearly not because of certain elements that like just kind of randomly show up at certain points. And like the first part of it is like there's like it's like in four parts. And, like the first part of it is, is has like supernatural elements. The second part has zero supernatural elements. The third part has zero supernatural elements, and the fourth part is like basically none, but they're hinted at. Like it's like it's clear that they're real or something. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird book, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. So, yeah, I, I think it's for for books you have like a cover, or online you have like an image, or you have like a synopsis, and it like a lot of what I feel is important as an author, especially web author, is trying to set expectations as much as you can because mm-hmm. people get like, you know, if you say that it is a slice of life story, that's just gonna a lot of people aren't gonna like pick up mm-hmm. pick it up. And the people who do pick it up are the people like slice of life yeah. stories, and it makes it hard to do a genre switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think, especially establishing the first like chapter, but especially the first like five chapters, what kind of story this is going to be, is is a super yeah important I mean, thing. But it's difficult. It's also a very difficult thing, especially like I hate writing blurbs. It's yeah. um, but that's expectation setting, uh, which you like really desperately need for that kind of audience like it would be it would be nice to be able to write a book where you could just like go wild with it and, yeah. but but you're betraying promises mm-hmm. if you do that yeah genre is like signposting for your readership here are the things that hopefully you want it's almost advertising yeah have you ever read a book in which it had like supernatural elements that weren't shown in the first chapter liminal spaces have you ever read two books <laughs> I, I feel like it's I don't know. I, th- I kind of feel like by chapter three, you need to do it. Yeah. It depends on how long your chapters are. I think Liminal Spaces, it was like the first three to four chapters or something was a Western. Um, and it's like, huh, this is not normal. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it depends for, for supernatural elements. Um, like for urban fantasy, you can put it off for longer. Mm-hmm. So long as you hint at, yeah. maybe there's something going on. And you can keep that ambiguous for a really long time yeah. um, before revealing that it's the super. Oh, there's a movie 
I mean, it's been spoiled to hell now, but so I'm not going to mention it. But it's like it starts as like a normal crime movie, and then it's like kind of hits you in the face like halfway through the movie with the fact that it's like there's like supernatural elements in it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think there's a TV show like that that yeah. I'm apparently not going to say the name of. It's got vampires. Does that help? Yeah, there's a lot of those. <laughs> I feel, I feel like that could be any movie. <laughs> we, we've got an audience just to subvert your expectations. We've got a few a few people just like listening in, uh, and one of them is nodding. I think, I think yeah, it's, I don't know if I should say it because it's yeah. Is it good? A lot of people like it. I, okay. Yeah, but it is meant to be like a surprise. Like it is meant to be yeah. shocking. Like people people know this this like director writer. They they I'm pretty sure the trailers didn't spoil it. Uh, they go into the movie and it's like a crime. Yeah, it feels like it's in genre for this writer, and then suddenly vampires show up and it's like. Well, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like I. I'm. I guess I'm being the contrarian here. Like I, I I'm happy with. Uh, I'm happy with writers breaking their promises to the readers. Uh, I think readers should stop thinking that writers are making promises to them. Um, I think that's my position. <laughs> yeah. I think I think most writers are making promises. Yeah. Like that. That. But like, uh, part of your faith in a author is that like when you're reading something that you're like not not necessarily engaged in you're like okay the author had a reason for putting this in the author wasn't just wasting my time and if you reveal to the reader actually subverted your expectations (laughs) i was waiting your time wasting your time right yeah um that's i think something that most people really don't like to just be like actually this thing that we spent a bunch of time on that you thought was going to have a payoff there is no payoff. That just feels like bad writing, though. Right? It doesn't mean like it's, well, a, it's part of a plan. That, that's the distinction. Okay, if someone was like writing a mystery box and they're just like, "Ooh, what's happening with this weird fog thing or something?" and the fog keeps showing up, and like you're like, "All right, the fog is going to be tied together in the end," and then he just never explains it. Like to me, that's not subverting expectations. It's just like just cheaping out or something. It's like I mean, it does subvert expectations. So it's just in a bad way. <laughs> it, it subverts meta expectations. It doesn't subvert story expectations. You're right? really putting Stephen King's list <laughs> on blast right here. No, no. Stephen King just doesn't explain shit and that's fine because you don't expect him to explain shit. Like he's like, you know, one day the world X happened and he's like, just go with it. And like, I, I mean like, I guess I'm talking about Lost and Lost, like, like Lost, Battlestar Galactica, what else does this shit? Um, okay, so it is spoilers. QNTM has a story that switches. Yes, genres. yes, 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 it does. Yeah, it's a great one. But yeah. Did, did you like that, though? I did, yeah. I meant to, I, I, I meant I mean, to be very not, convenient. Not, yeah. not, not the story itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked the story, but the the switch of genre. There was a part of me that was like, you know, I kind of like <laughs> what was happening we before. Started with. I kind of yeah. Uh, do that thing instead of moving this other thing. Don't get me wrong. I totally understand the like, oh, I kind of like the other thing uh, that was happening. But also, I'm just happy when people do things that are new and exciting. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess QNT had a different story that served as almost a superhero <laughs> story. That one was a little different. But I didn't think I read that one. Fine structure? Yeah. I read that one. Okay. It's got superhero elements, I guess. But it's, I, I guess it wasn't signaling to me that it was a superhero thing. So gotcha. it's, it's got a bunch of other weird stuff in it. But I, th- I think that there is uh, a way in which it's easier to go from fantasy to sci-fi, or like than to go from sci-fi to fantasy. If if you have like a bunch of techno babble and you just like reveal at some point, actually there are magic all along. Crimes, it was just magic all along. That would be very frustrating. Yeah. I think that would be cool. That would be awesome. I think, I think it's unique enough that you could pull it off. <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, I think it would be frustrating <laughs> to just be like, oh, actually, this techno babble we were using, we just got a wizard cleaned up in a warp core. Yeah, I think that one writer gets to do that once, and they've basically poisoned it for everybody, so dibs. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no, I was going to say I have dibs. <laughs> right, go, base. Whoever can write it first. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so, like, the ways that. Uh, the, the, like, books and shows and movies that get shit for subverting expectations. Do you think that's mostly because they're just doing it bad? Yeah, yeah. I think the expectations of those subverting, quote-unquote, is, like, the writers were lazy, and the readers can pick up on them, the writers are being lazy. Not the writers had a plan that they executed that subverted the expectations of the readers. There's a uh, quote by Raymond Chandler, who wrote, like, a bunch of crime stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, when you're stuck, you just have a guy burst in the room with a gun. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like a lot of subverting expectations is that mm-hmm. where where you you want that that surprise and that shock and it's like yeah. new and exciting and it, and but like where's this guy with the gun coming from mm-hmm. right and you need to do that work to make to 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 make it like just yeah just to justify to make it fit in with the story to not just feel like this was uh, an action scene injected mm-hmm. because you thought things Good were sense. too dull or, 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 or because you, you know, you, you ran out of, you like didn't know how a conversation was going to end. So you just were like, wanted to go to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Lost was almost a Sudoku puzzle that they accidentally filled out in conflict with itself where there was like actually no satisfying resolution anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, whoops, uh, Art. <laughs> yeah, Q and TM actually writes about this uh, in an article. He talks about Lost. I think he, he singles Lost out specifically, but like this is the thing that I think is is what when when people were, were making fun of the Game of Thrones writers, uh, the TV show, for subverting expectations, quote unquote. I think this is the thing that they're pointing at. When writers are being, being lazy and like are bad at their jobs. Uh, yeah, I went there. Yeah, super brave of me. I know. Oh course. shoot, Sam Hughes is the name of it. We could have got him. Uh, yeah, could have got him. Um, it's not too late. We'll hunt him down sometime in the next 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, that would be very subverting. <laughs> Bring him in at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I, I think that sometimes uh, the subversion of expectations is um, we, we kind of put that on a pedestal. Uh, famously, Westworld. Yep, um, yep. Not, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil Westworld, but the People figured it out, and they figured out like first episode, like all the twists and turns, and um, some of the neat stuff that was, that they were doing with it, like structurally and narratively. And um, the writers were just like, "Oh man, we got to have not people not figure it out, right?" Mm-hmm. And that's um, I think that's a lot of people have that instinct. They they're they're like, "Well, I can't have people figure it out. It needs to have the shock. It needs to have the surprise." And I think that is a good way to like ruin a story uh, unless you can like come up with something on the fly that's better than what you plotted out, which I think is a really difficult ask most the readers, of the time. The readers worked hard to figure out your puzzle, man. Like, reward them. Yeah. Also, like, if they figure out your puzzle, this is the, the rational perspective, I guess, but, like, isn't that what you want? You want your, your puzzles to be predictable and, and like, be figure-outable? It's like, isn't that the point of writing a well-structured story? Yeah. I, I, think, th- I think the perspective is that the the reader or viewer or whatever, is getting the thrill mm. of the subversion or, or, or the twist or whatever you're, you're doing. They're getting the thrill of that when they when they figure it out, rather than when they actually read it. Which is not really what you want, but 
ideally you want them to figure it out like moments before it, mm-hmm. the reveal. Yeah. Rather, rather than the first episode. Modern forum is basically like a limited super intelligence. Just in yeah. terms of like you have actually thousands of people looking at every word that you wrote. Mm-hmm. Any hints you found are going to be like then taken to their logical conclusion. I think that hoping that it will land at the correct time even when faced with this like really interested hive mind is optimistic. I, I think you also get into the point where like sometimes people will guess so much that like it's that you do need to subvert it a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. It's I would hope though that it's uh, not in the direction of like what makes the story optimized for surprise over like what makes sense, but more in the direction of like um, adding things to the story such that it's I don't know. It also feels like serial fiction is different from 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 published stories in this way. Like if you if you legitimately have an ending in mind and the reason that you changed the ending is because the readers guessed it. I feel like you're not a writer; you're a magician, and like you're, you're, yeah, like you're, you're, you're hoping to maximize surprise. You're not hoping to maximize a good story. Yeah, I think for for me, like if the reveal is just so, especially if you have like internet users mm-hmm. who are pouring things over, if they guess it far enough and then they then they, it doesn't land for them because they're like, yeah, so what? Like you're a big reveal, so what? That's that's that. That's the risk. Yeah. That, that's what people are are responding to. They're just responding to it in ways that I think. Whereas my experience actually is that when readers' predictions come true, and maybe this is just the audience I'm writing for, they're just like fucking called it, nailed that shit. I am so pumped that my prediction came true, and not like fucking this person made this, you know, predictable story. Fuck him. I like that's. I don't know. That's not my experience. It's kind of a form of user testing in mm-hmm. a way where they're all like saying, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if Bella was like." werewolf ancestry and that's why Edward can't read her mind yeah and then they're like that would be a good ending and then Stephanie Meyer doesn't do that <laughs> yeah. this, is the, this is the thing also like yeah if your if your readers predict something that's cooler than what you wrote I mean you can steal that shit that seems cool if your readers predict something in a way that is and if the readers predict something that you don't end up doing and they're disappointed with what you did as opposed to what they what they came up with yeah, that feels like a test of the writer. Be a better writer and notice better ideas when you see them. I don't know. I'm, I'm plausibly being too harsh to writers everywhere. But yeah, I think I think TV production is like super super complicated. Yeah. There's not really that much excuse to not like hammer out your episodes ahead of time and like have an overarching plot. But I do think that as like doing any serial medium, you do need to be able to respond mm-hmm. to what's working and what's not because it's like the benefit of the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just going to like write a full novel and then release it like a chapter a week, I don't know. Some people do that and then mm-hmm. it, it works fine for them, but um, I'm not so sure about that as a, yeah. as, as an approach. I think that's kind of worst of both worlds in a way. Even then the experience of the reader, I think is probably still going to fall on the lines of like, were the expectations of the writers, plot points, characters, genre, whatever subverted, by some, in a direction that makes the story more interesting as opposed to makes the story... Yeah. yeah. In music, people seem to enjoy... Like, I guess one of the theories of music is that we enjoy music because it like, fits a, a pattern that we can, to some level, predict. And I think there is something of comfort in that for stories, especially certain kinds of stories. But obviously, crime novels are different from slice-of-life novels are different from yeah. uh, science fiction in the, in the sense of like what kinds of patterns they're, they're putting in front of the reader. I think it's very interesting that you can have 
readers be like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming at all. And other times they'll be like, well, I didn't see that coming at all. Right, right. Like, mm-hmm. where, where, was, where was this foreshadowed? Yeah. And foreshadowing is a form of expectation setting, right? Like, yeah. like you want to you mm-hmm. lay the seeds. You want it to, be, to not, like, come totally out of nowhere. That's, like, the most sub- that you can't subvert yeah. <laughs> expectations is if, if it comes out of nowhere, if, you know, if you wait until, like, chapter 13 to have your aliens come crashing down and it's, like, just, I just, I just want that story. I want, I want those stories. Those are the stories I want. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm like a, what's like a, like a, like a drug addict who's like chasing a bigger high or something at this point or something. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like always but, chasing the bigger <laughs> high, the bigger subversion, and, and like eventually you get to these ridiculous lengths. Yeah. Do we have anything more? I don't know. Do you guys, do you guys actively think about? I, I don't think I've ever actually while writing thought about like, ah, yes, I'm going to set this expectation and I'm going to subvert it. Uh, I think what I think about actually is like it would be interesting if this character was was a certain way that's not normal. So I want to make that kind of character, or it would be interesting if this this kind of plot happened, which is not like a usual plot. So I want to make that kind of plot. So I don't like actually like he he he. I'm going to I'm going to get those readers with this with this subversion that I'm planning or something. Okay, so I've I've been writing this story that's like of of witches and wizards. I don't know, this is a terrible tale. I'm going to fix it, but. I want, like, a more empathic, sort of, like, soft masculinity. Like, someone who's, like, very empathic masculinity, which you don't see a lot. That is a form of spreading expectations, and I'm being very conscious about that. And then it's also, like, a love story between two older people, which you don't see very often. Usually usually it's teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, these these people are in their, I don't know, 40s or 50s or or something like that. It's it's more mature. They've had like stuff in their life, and that is also a subversion of expectations for what a romance is. And that is also very conscious of like what is out there in media and how I can just have my own different thing. Yeah, you know. But and and it will be it'll be fresh and new because it is uh, going against the grain in a lot of ways. And I do think about that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I also think about twists, but like I think about twists and I think about punchlines. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think about punchlines a lot, and I just I call that like whatever whatever note we're ending on, like whether it's a chapter or a like a story as a whole. Like what's what's the thing that we're gonna like leave it on? And those often are about expectations, right? Like. Yeah, but they're, they're, they seem more to me to be about you've set a new expectation, not necessarily you've, you've subverted an old one. But it could it could be it really depends. Yeah, but I, I think I think about I, I think about punchlines a lot. That's that's one of my main maybe in the last like two years is, is one of my main modes of of considering stories is is in terms of like what 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 am I leaving the reader with and, and what I don't know Punch, punchlines are hard, but. I think, I think short stories, especially, you want you want to like start strong and then you want to end strong because that's like people you can have a middle that sucks and people won't care. That's not hundred percent true. But. Stephen King has been reversing this advice his entire life. <laughs> yeah, really good middles. Really good middles. Okay, beginnings, terrible endings. Basically, he's got some great endings. Actually, it's, it's actually been super surprising to me how many authors that are like very successful people are like, oh yeah, his endings 
aren't good at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess they enjoyed the rest of the. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think the the start strong thing makes sense from a marketing perspective. I think the end strong thing is over overstated, but I'm contrarian apparently today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Neil Stephenson, people are like, oh, yeah, his endings aren't good at all. He yeah. just kind of peters off and yeah. does whatever. And so I kind of agree with that. And then people say that about Charles Strauss, too. And I'm like, yeah, I can see where someone would say that. But, like, that's kind of like, I don't know. The ending is, like, an important part of, like, if, if you consider a book as the author trying to say something or communicate something or, or leave you with some kind of emotion, the ending feels like it's vital to that. Yeah, I guess the way I'm thinking about it is like Stephen King's last paragraph slash page is usually amazing, uh, but the last like the the way he actually ends the stories is often terrible. Yeah, the way he the, the way he resolves whatever the central yeah. conflict is. I'm I'm more talking about I don't know. I, I do think resolution to conflict is like super important, mm-hmm. and and one of the things that makes us feel like yeah that thing's resolved. Yeah. Do you write specifically to? Some Specifically, just to get, hit him with a sneaky right at the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or even in the middle. Or in the middle. I used to write all these like really bleak endings, just out of a sense of like, haha, this is not what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. You don't deserve to be made enriched and happy by the ending here. I'm gonna do my part to like improve the public commons of. You need to believe that endings can be bad sometimes, mm-hmm. and people didn't like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did they, did, they, did they not like it because in your expectation of this, like you were promising something different to them, or did they not like it because they got really attached to the characters and wanted them to be happy? Yeah, I, uh, I don't feel like there was ever promising anything different. <laughs> like my really early stuff, like Maestro, mm-hmm. uh, where, like, I guess I shouldn't spoil things. It's not spoiling things. Uh, I don't know. The end needs to be both somehow surprising and also kind of inevitable, mm-hmm. or else people feel cheated and. What? Hey. Uh, and I'm usually right. Looking for a twist. If you think about it, Deus Ex Machina is a form of subverting expectation. Oh, Very sad. surprised, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I could, I could, as much as I hated Deus Ex Machina before, there was a book series I recently read that just made me hate it all the more because it was like a little god showed up in the book with a machine to and it was like ah isn't this funny i'm like no no it's terrible why did you do this after five books yeah <laughs> yeah i think there's a lot of risks yeah. that come with i mean not deus ex machina is just generally a terrible idea yeah i think there are some circumstances in which it can be made to work um but I, I think, like the in, in subverting expectations overall, it's, it's a very risky thing to do, and it, has, it needs to be done in a very controlled way. It needs to be like a controlled demolition type thing. Didn't you? Didn't you say like ten, fifteen minutes ago? I really want to read a book series that is like four books and then a completely different thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but, but here's the thing: I want the different thing to be about a new sort of story, not the way you end the story. If you end the story by doing this, it's suddenly it's like it's like at the end of the story, it's like ah, it turns out this was all a dream. It's like that's not that's yeah. not it's not a good genre shift. It's suddenly realizing this was this was a non speculative fiction genre book didn't help me. <laughs> I, I think having like an outside context problem show up after you have all this stuff established, and is, then the meteor hit can, can be good. I, I think you you don't want to uh, like 
resolve a conflict yeah. with, yeah, the, exactly. with the outside context problem coming in. And then you also don't want to like take away a victory. Right. And, and and it could be realistic. Like, and then the meteor hit is a plausibly realistic way to end the story. But it's just also just not satisfying. There was that, I'm going to spoil it, that Robin, Robert Pattinson movie where he's like, it's like a rom-com. It's not a rom-com, but it's like a romantic comedy. Seeking someone for the end of the world. No, it's, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but the the very last thing is he goes to work at the World Trade Center. Oh, right, right. And you find out it was that day, yeah. And and that's, it's like, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, in concept, anyway. Was it made before 9-11? No, it was, just, it, was, it, was a, it was a post. <laughs> that would have been wonderful, right? It's really ominous. But no, he like goes he goes to work on 9-11. That's how they end the movie. It's like mm-hmm. implying that he's just going to die. Yeah. And then had like this romance and then it's just going to die at the end for totally unrelated reasons. I guess they're making a point about how real life is tragic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And tragic and random and, and stuff. My expectations are subverted. I, yeah, this, we feel like this makes for a good middle of a movie. Doesn't make for a good end of it to me. Like, I want the story. This is what I'm saying. I want the story where this happens. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to read a slice of life series and then that ends a book with and then you invade and kill everyone. I want that to be the new story that I start reading. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of reasons I'm never going to get. It. <laughs> I know, I know. Some of it's marketing. Some of it's <laughs> just the time investment mm-hmm. of like. Setting all that stuff up. Yeah, this is what fan fiction's for. So I've, I'm, I'm just going to talk about it. And mm-hmm. There's this, like maybe spoilers for a thing that I possibly will not write or that I've like written a little bit of. But it's called Kitchen Sink, uh-huh. and the idea is I've talked about this on Discord and stuff because I, I, I'm still trying to like get it cracked. The idea is we are following a kind of Hillary Clinton-like director of the center of the Nautilus Affairs which is set up because there are all these mutants, right? And the mutants need to be, like, taken care of or whatever. But at a certain point, we find out, or they find out, or whatever, that there are, in fact, wizards in the world. And they've been living in these secret cities and memory-charming people and had the wizard powers. And then then we, we have a separate conflict between the mutants and the wizards. The question that I have, the problem that I have, is when do you introduce these wizards? Do you have a whole first book that's all about the mutant problem and all these like kids who have magic power, not magic, because it's like supposed to be a different system, yeah. but uh, you have all these mutant kids and do you just like, do you just do a whole book of that and then you end the book on, oh, and then, and then they found the wizards. Um, I think... Because that's yeah. that's that's a, such a difficult question because yeah. you don't want to get all the people who are like yeah mutant stuff right like I think the, the problem in this particular case is that it will feel cheap not not even that subverting expectations it will feel cheap if every book you're just introducing a new kind of thing without without some form of knowledge that this is a a kitchen sink thing in the first place well yeah that's why I titled it yeah, yeah. like this is, like, this, this is the this I, got, is, I got a title picked out that's not a problem right, right. Like, I, if, if there is some knowledge that there are other things besides mutants in the world, then every book introducing anyone makes makes total sense. It doesn't feel like it's a very expectation at that point. Until, whatever, until the aliens show up, or until the, the trans-dimensional, uh, you know, uh, Cthulhu, no, even that wouldn't be really. 
So, so your your solution would be to not subvert expectations, to just to just put it in the synopsis that right we're we're doing the whole thing. You, doing, like the first book can just be about mutants, but like someone there should should note that like there are things going on that don't fully fit with the mutants. We like, foreshadow. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But but like. But then you can then you can just introduce whatever you want in book two and then book three and then book four. Like you can just keep introducing new things and like you've set the yeah. Like like the, it doesn't feel like the goal should be to separate expectations. It feels like the goal should be to write a sort of story that no one's written before and then just like because it's exciting or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's the the goal is I don't know or fun or whatever. But but the like yeah the, my my problem is because that is not a. Uh, it's not even a genre shift, really. It's it's just like introducing a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that, like, it's the meteor coming down, right? It's it's kind of a genre shift in the way that mutants are considered science fiction and wizards aren't. Uh, the way psychics are considered science fiction somehow and wizards aren't. And like, yeah, I, I think I think it. One suggestion that I got, I was talking about this with someone, um, and one suggestion I got was just to just start. Start with the mutants finding wizards. Mm-hmm. Do that in like chapter two or three. Do chapter one setup, chapter two or three, like it's five years later, the mutant stuff is all played out and, and we just start because that's a way where you're you're you do all your expectation setting early mm-hmm. and once you do that you can introduce whatever you want. Like the, that. like the wizards saw that mutants got integrated to society, like, okay, maybe we can come out too or something, or uh I think the specific thing I have written in my overview is that the the mutants like make first contact with the wizards because the mutants have like memory reading yeah, abilities that like can yeah um but i don't like my my personal instinct is to just write at least half a book mm-hmm. with just the mutants and to foreshadow very very little of 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 like the wizards and the and the vampires and stuff. It's it's but I, I I'm bringing it up here because because of this problem. Yeah. This problem of how long do you go without letting? I mean, because you could you could for sure do like a prologue, mm-hmm. right? Where you're, you know, thirty years in the future and there's this big battle and it's got like aliens and vampires yeah. and, and whatever right. else. But like that's that to me takes away some of the fun. Yeah, of it. I don't like those kinds of prologues personally. Yeah, I think that one of the problems here is that the lack of foreshadowing is a desiderata. Like, you really want this to be just like a outside context brick to their society each time. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm gonna try to write this, mm-hmm. um, and I, no guarantees, but I, I mean, I have, I have some of it written. I have like eight thousand words or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 a very thorny problem about the expectation setting and not like losing a whole bunch of readers after like ten to twenty chapters because they're like the fuck like this is not what I signed up for um yeah my uh I feel like i've yeah my i think my 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 something i don't know what the right word is my experience as a reader that I'm then reflecting as a writer is something like yeah you didn't you, you signed up for a story. Buckle in. Like, if you don't like like it, then, then stop reading. But yeah, you signed up for a story. Why do you think? I'm gonna spoil season one of Game of Thrones sure. and book one of Game of Thrones. Why do you think people like Ned Stark's death so much? Yeah, this is this is what I meant at the beginning. This is like a it's like you're breaking an expectation about how stories go in culture. And like now, it is much less effective to kill off the protagonist by the end of the first book, at the end of the first season, because like it's just more normalized. And like if that was the norm, if like 
protagonist dies by the end of the first book or, or season was like the norm. The protagonist surviving the first seasonal book would be like, oh shit, this layers yeah. on some new, fresh, you know, content. <laughs> I really want to see what's going on with a, a, a protagonist that survives for longer than a book. Um, I think one of the reasons that it works for people is because we have so many other viewpoints mm-hmm. that like, yeah, if, if, if here our solo protagonist yeah. would be losing all that investment in re- Realistically, we don't have that many Ned chapters before. There's a really, so... There's a book series I really love where um, it's like a ridiculous amount of books in, uh, something like 11 to 12 books in, the protagonist dies. And the next book um, is told from the, the perspective of the protagonist's ghost. Hmm. Um, and there's some short stories that get written like uh, throughout the series. And like one of them is between the book where the character dies and the, and the ghost book. Uh, is about like how the characters around the protagonist are like doing while they're gone. And it's kind of heartbreaking because like the protagonist was the protagonist for a reason. They were the strongest person. They were able to like do the most things, and they were just like able to save the day very often. And without them around, things kind of fall to shit. Um, and like it's like you're seeing the other characters struggle with like how to how to carry that on and stuff. And it's kind of a heartbreaking book when you're from the ghost perspective because like they can't do nearly as many things as they could do when they were alive, uh, and they just kind of have to watch everyone struggle without them. And then the character comes back to life after being a ghost for a book. Uh, yeah. So, like, uh, it's like the world is still kind of fucked up because they were dead for, like, a few years or something. Uh, and, like, it's like it's not, like, like things have, like, changed in some permanent way because of this, this thing happening. Uh, but I was actually really excited for a while because this was, it was all from this person's perspective. It was, it was, it was, it was um, the books were journals written by this person. Uh, so it's like we didn't have anyone else's perspective other than the short stories. And I was actually kind of excited to be like, oh, shit. They've killed off the protagonist. Um, we are now probably going to jump to someone else's perspective to see what the world is like without this, this like pillar of the community in it, um, and without this protector of the city in it. And we'll see how everyone else has to kind of like get along with the lessons that he taught them and the things that he, you know, he did um, to prepare. And yeah, then we're back to the protagonist. I'm like, all right, that's fine, I guess. But I would have, I would have just been happier with that too. Yeah, and it sounds neat. Yeah, it sounds, but it also sounds like one of the things where like don't want you to tell me what series this is. Yes, yes. Then I'd be just like, oh, okay. I don't really need to read it. (laughs) Like, it's interesting in concept, but if I know it's coming, I'm much less, yeah, much less interested. Okay. I think that's all I've got on this. Uh, Probably. Okay. Thanks for listening. Um, This is probably going to come out a few months after we're recording it, so... Yeah, uh, yeah. If uh, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know what else you'd like us to discuss because we've got a list somewhere that we have not consulted. And we we also haven't updated. Yeah, we haven't updated either. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. And uh, enjoy your day, night, week. I never really know how to finish these things. Have a good night, everyone. Fix it in post. <laughs> could have done some burning expectations thing. Yeah, it could also just. Okay, we continued talking after ending that episode, so I'm just gonna I just turn the recording back on. Also, uh, audience, if you guys would like to join in, feel free to. Yeah. Um, okay, so 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 let's say that you want to write that story where it is, um, you are going sci-fi to fantasy in the sense that not like Marines are going, like space Marines are going into like fight orcs or whatever on a, on a different mm. planet. Or, uh, but in the sense that you are saying, oh, actually the stuff that you thought was sci-fi, that was presented to you as sci-fi, it was magic all along. How 
I, I want to I want to write that story mm-hmm. uh, out of a perverse sense as an author that it would be a challenge and uh, funny, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I am thinking that you present like Star Trek mm-hmm. and you don't explain the artificial gravity. Yeah, and people just are accept that as a trope of like space travel, yeah. even if it doesn't really make sense, because it makes it easier to film. And that. the participants accept it. The participants, the, the the people in the world would probably accept it, just because like who understands how the car actually works? Really? Well, well, I mean, maybe they even know. Yeah, and they just like they're not going to bring it up. They're not going to say oh, like yeah, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Like as you know, there's a gravity spell yeah. that like keeps us yeah. pointed in the right direction. So, but you have like a wizard chained up. And like doing the work core thing, right? Well, like fairies and gra- gravity fairies. How long do you wait before you? Re- how long can you wait before you reveal to the reader that this is actually not sci-fi? That this is because I feel like I feel like when people do fantasy to sci-fi, they can put that off for a long time. Yeah. I think sci-fi to fantasy, I'm not sure how long you can put it off and still have people be like, "Oh yeah, that's like a good twist," right? <laughs> Because I, I would love, like, all, all the Star Trek stuff, they don't really, yeah, yeah. or they have, like, kind of messy explanations for, like, the, the transporter beams and the, the replicators and stuff. I think you can include all that stuff, and, and the audience will just be like, yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but, like, mm-hmm. whatever, we'll go with it. And then you're like, actually, there are wizards on board. The thing is that, this the, the weird thing to me, that, though, about this is that, I mean, speaking for myself as a reader, I think I, I would just be happy for it. So I can't, I'm, I can't, I'm too typical-minded to, to be able to actually answer this question. But, like, the thing about Star Trek is the viewers of Star Trek, as far as I know, like, the fandom never really rebelled against any of the weirdo fucking magic shit that happened in Star Trek. Like, no, like, sure, they never explained, like, the, the tech, but that's, that's just, like, part of the course often. Like, like... It's not like an alien shows up and starts shooting lightning out of his hands, which I'm pretty sure happens in, in like the next generation right. at some point. And someone was like, "That's not allowed. That's that's this is magic. No one does that. They're just like, yeah, whatever. An alien can somehow shoot shoot lightning out of their hands." One of my favorite interpretations of Star Trek that I heard that I kind of can't unhear is that the, the event, it's actually just magic, and we are being told a sci-fi version of it because we wouldn't accept that. And that explains like why some species have different technology that we can't replicate. It's bloodline locked. <laughs> or like Data is a golem who was made by a golem smith. We obviously can't make more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess there, there's the other question for if, if you're writing um, Star Trek to, to yeah. fantasy is in what sense do you does it like even matter? Yeah. That that, that all this is wizard. Yeah. Like, if, there's if, like a. a there's like a wizard officer that has just not been seen or talked to. Oh, like why? Why are psychics? Why are psychics treated as science fiction? I, I feel like this is a thing that just like happens all the time. It's I I think it's rooted in the sixties and seventies because uh-huh. it was like super super popular then to have psychics and people were like, oh, we're gonna like they unlock the mind. They, they legitimately thought. That yeah, for whatever reason, that this was like science in some sense. I mean, I think, I think it's less common now. Yeah, the military. Well, okay, so when the military is doing experiments, like we, like we need to make sure that if psychic powers and like being able to walk through walls and stuff exists, like we can do it before the, the, the Muskies camp. Mm-hmm. But like at this point, it's it it does feel still like you're right. It's less common for like hard sci-fi or, or sci-fi in general to to do this, but it does kind of still feel like an easy pass if you say that some humans are just able to uh, do right. things other humans can't do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think people do accept it a little bit easier, but that's just because genre. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't think that's... 
I think it's, I think it's just a, a built-in genre thing. Mm-hmm. That, there was a Deep Space Nine episode where I kind of had a spit take when they were like, oh, yes, these psychic aliens. I'm detecting a lot of psychic particles going through the walls. And I was like, that, this is not the right genre. Psychic particles? Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely writing a science fiction in Pokemon, right? Yeah. So, so, like, I, I want to get back to my question mm-hmm. of, yeah, yeah like, what in, time? Yeah. In, in in what sense, like, if you're doing Star Trek to, to fantasy, in what sense do you? Does it matter? Yeah, I, I, like, I, how, I, how do you how do you bring that up? Direct that question to the other brains in the room because I my my answer is anytime is fine. I think I, my actual answer I think is like anytime is fine because I just be yeah, well okay. The, so 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 the two questions I have are how late into the narrative can you go before you're like actually it's magic? But the other point is like like does it matter that it's magic like in in what sense is it like if that wizard is using a soft magic system that's kind of like to to how, how do you bring that into the plot right instead of just being like actually it was fooled you it was a wizard in the warp form <laughs> right I do think it's very very funny to have like eight episodes of Star Trek they're all wearing uniforms and walking like West Wing style yeah, the, yeah. the holodecks to the left and then they open like the door there's a dude in wizard robe. Someone's like, who's that? And they're like, that's the gravity wizard. <laughs> and then resume, never acknowledge it again. Like, that's funny. Um, I'm, but, like, but like, does it matter that there's a gravity wizard? If they legitimately found a planet in one of those episodes that I've forgotten of the original series or something, where there were people in, like, wizard robes and they did magic, and no one was like, this is, like, a trick of some kind... I would honestly just call shenanigans about what they consider magic and not magic or something. Like, I would just be like, what makes this a trick and not just alien powers that these aliens have and other aliens don't have? So you, you think you think that the reveal kind of doesn't work because you just be like, well, this is just, this is just, like, systematized magic is just like... Right, right. Science. It's, it's just, just... The funny part would be that you're revealing to the reader that, like... Uh, it turns out that like the, the gravity crystals or whatever are like fairies, like a fairies inside them or something, because it like breaks expectations as a reader. But it doesn't change anything about the genre, really. Uh, assuming assuming a genre of, of non hard sci fi. So you need to figure out a way to to, to actually change the genre, yeah. which is which is what fantasy to sci fi. Yeah. Very often does. Yeah. I guess I'm not gonna say always, but I don't really know why you would go fantasy to sci-fi and then you still keep all the trappings of, of fantasy i guess i know but yeah I, I, it, that's a hard thing i don't know if i know do you guys have thoughts on this i mean i think maybe so here's an example so apparently in Meiji ascension oh, yeah. um, mm. the technology works as like uh, collective subconscious technology work the way technology works because of this like consensus yeah. in the background but that means that like Actually, suddenly the genre does shift into anything because you can suddenly impact technology in ways that no longer feel technological by like shifting collective consensus or whatever. That's actually how it works in Warhammer Village. Oh, yeah. Uh, with orcs. With orcs. Yeah. yeah. Orcs feel subconsciously that becomes magic at the high end. Yeah. I want to say that something like that could feel like you've actually moved into fantasy, I think, if like suddenly the way to actually interact with the technology just turns. I think one way you could do it is to bring in more genre trappings of fantasy. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. a boy with a magical sword. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like, it, like, this metal has a property that we haven't studied before, but it's just like, no, this metal really just breaks the laws of physics. It's like, it's like 
two different things. No, no, yeah. I, I mean, like, I mean, like you, like, what, what, what are the the most common fantasy? Ah, <laughs> uh, I see what you're saying. The actual trope itself, not not the the way yeah, they yeah, approach yeah. it. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, you yeah. bring in the trope of like the chosen one. Yeah, or you bring in like, I guess you could bring in orcs, but orcs aren't. You'd need to call them orcs because otherwise they're just like not distinguishable from alien. alien. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just trying. I'm trying to think of the fantasy stuff that you could bring in. Like you could bring in a, a dragon, but that's you spaceships. Like why is the dragon important? Yeah. Well, I'll I'll give this some thought. I'm also um, on Facebook to give me an idea for how you can move from sci-fi to fantasy. Uh, she she thinks humans are sort of naturally magical and. Kind of ruin it by doing things like taking vaccines, and um, she's she kind of sees herself as sort of pitted against transhumanism. Mm. And there's sort of like two genres in the world. There's a sort of fantasy genre that she's she's living, and then there's the sci-fi people who want to be a cyborgs or transhumanists. And so I can see her telling a sort of story where we start off in a sort of sci-fi world where um, we're like using technologies and enhancing ourselves. But then we sort of like go back to this sort of like more natural human state and then are able to tap into magic again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I used to play a um, fourth edition D&D supplement, like third party supplement called Amethyst, where it's like the magic and technology don't mix type thing. But mm-hmm. it's, I kind of don't like that trope overall, but it's, it, it is nice to be able to have these two things coexisting yeah right like it and, and that's one way for them to coexist because i think i think often when you have magic magic just becomes like magic tech and it's not that distinct from like like i was writing a i was writing a, a long stairs thick basically about a team of marines uh, I stopped writing it because I realized I know nothing about fire team tactics and like how to hire room. And, uh, why why would you let that stop you? Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, uh, I I was doing all this research, yeah. and I'm like, the military people are just way too. I don't know. I I saw a comment I had on like the Ao3 story. It was just like you shouldn't have said like you shouldn't have talked about like the tomahawk missile here. Mm-hmm. And like how much it costs, you should like use like these other missile systems. You're just like, I don't give a shit <laughs> at all. And if if I need to spend like twenty hours of my time trying to get a good enough get knowledge, yeah, that's just like I, I'm just, I I don't care. But um, so I stopped writing that story. But one of the things was you know you have enchantments on your rifle, so you can fire an infinite number of rounds, mm-hmm. right? Or um, you have uh, your buckshot has like a combination blend of like cold iron and, mm-hmm. uh, and wood and whatever you have. You have that neat stuff, but it feels like that takes the fantasy in the direction of science fiction. Mm-hmm. It kind of puts yeah. it into a system. Yeah, yeah it, it it put it's it's the systematization that that um, makes it feel less fantasy in like kind of a weird way. Right. Yeah. This the idea of like humans having these two different genres or, or something uh, they live through is also interesting to me because there was like a there was a thing I, I saw that led me to like a subreddit for for witches or Wiccans or something, uh, and they were having an argument on the subreddit 
amongst themselves about whether or not the, the weather spells being cast to help the fires in Australia uh, were good thing or bad thing. Um, and it was deadly serious. Like they would obviously they believed these things, so they were taking it quite seriously. And there was they were, they were arguing with each other quite hard about this because some of them believed this would be destabilizing to the ecosystem, uh, and the other ones were like, "Why would you assume that I wouldn't take the ecosystem into account when I cast my spells?" Like I'm very aware of like the way my spells would affect the ecosystem, and I make sure to blah blah blah. And I was kind of reading this like, yeah, yeah, but I was also like, I was kind of reading this like, wow, this is like actually what this would look like if this was real. You know what I mean? Like this is this is exactly the kind of thing that if Reddit existed in a modern world that had magic in it. This is exactly what would happen in it. And I w- yeah, I don't think it would be too hard to mix the genres in that respect uh, of like, you know, just like take a magical world and write it in the modern times, quote unquote. Uh, but when you're taking the, like, because we have so many things nowadays that really just are science fiction to anyone 40 years yeah. ago, you know? Um, it's like how much, how much, like, what does it take for it to be science fiction at this point before uh, it, it's, it's still something very, like, unruly or something for the magic system not to be too systematized that's really the main issue it's like how much how much does it break the world for someone to have wild magic in a world where like magic is understood enough to have people having form arguments about it yeah i guess you could you could technically go from a systematized magic to a non-systematized magic as a sort of genre shift yeah there's like instead of kind of the blood of men in the wind yeah, yeah, it's like like the naming is 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 the is the less understood magic system, uh, less systematized magic system. But like the same way that your kitchen sink story, it's like someone's throwing a brick through. What, what did you say? You said something about outside it? contact. Uh, the desert errata is that it is not foreshadowed that this is an absolute brick beside their society. Right, right. So like you could instead of having one of a story like this where uh, the the brick to society is the suddenly like wizards exist instead of mutants. It could be suddenly non-systematized magic exists to a magical society that's fairly like uh, understood to be what magic is. But like like you said, like they just wouldn't talk about it because like obviously the cars went on you know, right propulsion ferries or something. Like would, would, why would why would that come up? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm trying I'm trying to work on the plot. Yeah, yeah. For for the for the Star Trek or whatever. <laughs> I, I I think you do. I think you do it just as a short story. It's just not that interesting to carry a book. But I would love have a book like that where it's just like right at the halfway point. I, I get it man. <laughs> where it's where it's like you 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 maybe you leave hints and like maybe you're thinking like oh they have this technology and like they're nanotech or like whatever you have to be careful about how you techno babble it if you want everyone to call them like wizards right. later on like gravity wizards like you just say gravity like in the fifth deck is like yeah. down yeah. <laughs> it happens every night between these hours. When yeah. Sleep. Yeah. So, but I mean, you, you be careful about how you do your techno battles so you can have yeah. this reveal later on. And then, like, halfway through the book, it's like, yeah, we got to take the chosen one to this mystical lake. Right, right. We got we to, gotta, like, get him the this, this sword to defeat the Dark One. You're telling me the old stories were true? <laughs> I, I think it's, I, like, do you think it's better to everyone kind of knew all along? That it was magic, or that it was mystery to them. These are—that's what I mean. Like these are these are two different ways to do it. I think the second one makes it more of a like less. It makes it less of a joke. The second one makes it less of a joke. The first one's like more of a like you said, like a short story with like a funny punchline. Yeah. The second one makes it more of like a uh, what would it be like for a s- systematized magic society to encounter 
uh, non-systematizable magic for the first time. Okay. Yeah. I kind of like the drunk better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a short story, it's, it's totally fine. I don't know. Or, okay, I'm just working on plot. Yeah. I don't need to do this out loud. Uh, yeah. But, I will. I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you count supernatural, quote-unquote, as, as sci-fi or, or, or magic? Like, if they like, urban... Yeah, like urban, urban fantasy with like with like with, let's say there are no wizards because wizards make it on the fantasy for many people. Uh, yeah, like there's vampires, there's werewolves, there's things that go bump in the night. You know, there's like creatures and stuff. I I, I don't count that as fantasy really. It's sort of its own its own thing. Yep. That, that to me is like the um, this is like when like when you when you have a setting like this and you introduce sci-fi, you go from the sci-fi to that kind of thing. Uh, it's like something unique and interesting that happens there. It's like Jason. Was it Jason X? Jason goes to space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like having having a zombie, unstoppable killing machine creature in a sci-fi setting. Uh, in some ways, it's not really that different from like aliens or whatever, right? Yeah. But like at the same time, it is somehow very different. Yeah. Okay. Great movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't remember much of it, but I remember it being enjoyable. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna go to bed. Yeah. Sounds good. Hope you guys all have a good night again. Yeah.